God is good, isn't he? Um, even if there's heartache and pain, God is so good. And it's a great privilege to gather together to be reminded of that. Regardless of where you are in your experience, you're here on purpose to experience the goodness of God. And I'm so glad to be with you. If you have your Bibles, you can meet me in Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 1 through 9. That's where we'll be in God's Word together this morning. We're in a sermon series on spiritual practices. pulled uh, eight practices um, that we see in scripture that we believe will help us to experience transformation in Christ. You know, we, we all struggle uh, with a gap between our beliefs and our behavior. Uh, we do not fully live into what we believe, especially as Christians, and spiritual practices cultivate alignment between beliefs and behaviors. Uh, We more truly live as unto the Lord when we engage the practices because practices, rhythms, they they point us in some direction and we want to be pointed towards Christ. So this morning we will look at the spiritual practice of songs, songs. In terms of Christian practices, singing is one of the most commonly commanded practices in scripture. It is mentioned some 100 times in scripture. And I know someone is tempted to say, well, I'm gonna check out here because I cannot hold a tune in a bucket. Uh, And would encourage you to stay tuned in uh, because even you can make a joyful noise to the Lord, um, even if it's out of tune. Uh, Songs, music are integral to the biblical narrative. Uh, there, there, are ver- there are very few checkpoints where songs are absent. Most checkpoints in the biblical narrative have some kind of melody. Places like Job 38 and Proverbs 8 point out uh, at the foundation of the earth, the angels were singing. Songs predate humankind. Places like Deuteronomy 31 point out that the law of God for his people was meant to be sung. The Psalms, the hymn book of, the, of God's people you know, to the choir master is the largest book of the Bible. When Jesus was born, Luke chapter one shows Mary bursting into song. At the cross, Jesus quoted a hymn, a lament psalm. At the end of it all, at the end of all things, when Jesus returns to fully restore heaven and earth, he will do so at the sound of a trumpet. A song will be sung that the trumpets shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And in eternity, we will gather around the throne of God and sing with the angels, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The biblical story is is highly musical. 
what is clear in Scripture in the world are that songs are powerful. They're powerful and they're formative. You don't even have to be a Christian uh, to believe that. You look, you look at sports games, uh, weddings, funerals, graduations, parties, quiet times, even shopping at Walmart. <laughs> All these things are accompanied by songs. Songs are powerful and they are formative. It was Martin Luther that once said that whether you wish to comfort the sad, to terrify the happy, to encourage the despairing, to humble the proud, to calm the passionate, what more effective means than music could you find? Music is powerful. It's very difficult to deny the power of songs. And so we're going to take some time this morning to consider together the practice of songs to move us towards worship. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Psalm 96, verse 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? I need the I need thee every hour. I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to to thee. Amen. You may be seated. Her name was Fanny Crosby. She is considered one of the most prolific hymn writers of the 19th century, having written over 9,000 spiritual songs in her lifetime. Her story is particularly impressive as she was a woman that was impacting the church in a time and place when women were not always welcome to do so. 
But Fanny wanted to write because she believed in the power of songs. She was born blind, and even though she could not see, she did not have her physical sight, she would say that the Lord gave her access to truer and deeper sight. And as she had her sight set on eternity, she would write lyrics such as, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And embedded in many of her songs were these references to this sight beyond sight. Where she, she would say things like, visions of rapture now burst, burst on my sight. Or, or watching and waiting, looking above. Fanny trusted that she had the sight that she needed. And because of that, she believed that it's not enough to have a song on your lips. You must have a song on your heart. She understood the power songs. I imagine that most of us have some sense of the intrinsic power of songs. I mean, from learning nursery rhymes to learning the alphabet. Some of y'all can't even say the alphabet without bursting into song. At an early age, we tap into the power of songs. And I love the biblical narrative of music. I wish I could hear how, how God's people sounded singing the Psalms or, or, or singing the law of God. I wish I could hear how God's people sounded singing in the wilderness or in exile, in moments of, of triumph and in moments of tragedy. And when you look at how the Bible story progresses, it's clear that songs, more often than not, were accompanied with worship. If there was something of the songs that would incline the heart towards God in worship, Psalm 96 is an expression of this worship. The psalmist begins with a common command. It's said over and over again throughout Scripture, Oh, sing. And the psalm points out how God's people should sing. How should we use the power of song? How should we use it to help us to worship? And we'll take some time to consider this for our own lives. And the invitation from the psalm is to use song to form us in three ways. For glory, for liturgy, and mission. For glory, liturgy, and mission. First, glory. The psalm writer says in verse 3, Declare God's glory among the nations. Verse 2, bless his name. Verse 7 and 8 tell, uh, tells us, ascribe to the Lord glory. Dr. Carl Ellis calls this big God theology. It's the idea that, that God is, is worthy of all honor and all praise. And the psalmist says elsewhere, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And for many of us in our life right now, we are magnifying other things more than we are magnifying God. You, you, you know what it's like to magnify things in your life because uh, it, it just seems so much bigger than anything else in your life, doesn't it? 
it seems to take center stage without trying. You, you look at your health and, and it just feels so magnified. You, you look at your family and it just seems so magnified. You look at your loneliness, you look at your struggles, and it just seems so much bigger than anything else, doesn't it? They're magnified. And the invitation of the gospel is not to deny how big these things are, these issues are in our lives. The invitation is to apply the proper size of them in light of who God is. Your problems may be great, but God is greater. And when we sing in worship, we sing to remind ourselves of the bigness of God compared to the problems of life. Yes, our problems are bigger than us, but there is a God who is bigger. So let me ask you, is God right-sized in your life? Because if anyone or anything seems bigger, the invitation is declare his glory. To magnify the Lord. Declare his glory not just for the sake of others, but for our own sakes. We need the glory of the Lord to rise among us so that we have right-sized worship in our lives. Secondly, we experience formation through songs and liturgy. Liturgy helps us to worship through song. Liturgy is the pattern of worship. The habits that, that guide our worship. James K. Smith says that liturgies aim our loves to different ends precisely by training our hearts through our bodies. Liturgies aim our worship. And they train our worship. Psalm 96, 2, it says, Bless his name, tell of his salvation day by day. Verse 9 says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. How is your worship being aimed and trained in this season of life? Verse 8 says, bring an offering and, and come into his courts. You had to be mindful of the patterns of worship if you entered into the presence of God in his temple. What are the day-by-day -day habits that bear witness to our deepest loves? Tish Warren confessed, uh, examining my daily liturgy as a liturgy, as something that both revealed and shaped what I love and worship, allowed me to realize that my daily practices were malforming me, making me less alive, less human, less able to give and receive love throughout my day. That the question is not if you are worshiping, the question is what are you worshiping? My daily habits reveal who or what I worship. And if I'm honest, my daily habits, more often than not, are training me to live from my smartphone more than anything else. They're, they're, they're training me to, to live for my money more than anything else, more than living for God. What are the day-by-day -day rhythms of worship revealing in your life? The power of songs is that they facilitate the aiming of our hearts towards the splendor and majesty of God's holiness. 
It trains us to look for him in the world. Many of you have seen the movie Jaws. Jaws is a classic film released in 1975. Jaws is about this gigantic shark terrorizing beach dwellers and fishermen. And Jaws is the first movie to ever gross over $235 million. But what's more famous and probably more classic than the movie Jaws is the theme song for Jaws. Some of y'all already, already going on. And, I, and I'll be honest I, I, and confess, I, I have not seen the movie nor its sequels, but that theme song <laughs> is undeniable. It's already playing, isn't it? It's so simple. Dunna, dunna. Dun, 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 dun. And you just know something's coming. I don't know if it's a shark, the devil. I don't, it's, it's something. You don't have to teach me a word. All I need is those two dots. Duh, duh. And I know. It's about to be a bad situation. And Steven Spielberg, director of the movie, he admits that at least half the reason the movie was so successful was because of that simple song. He said that the score played an active role in tricking, delighting, and terrorizing the audience. Spielberg trained the audience with a simple song. How do the songs in your life train you? How are they aiming your affections? Thirdly and lastly, we experience formation by songs through mission. Songs in worship are missional. The biblical narrative always has the world in mind when addressing God's people. That from the beginning, God has wanted to use his people to bless the nations. And our struggle is that we are too often concerned with ourselves and the Lord comes back to us to help us to think beyond ourselves. Psalm 96, it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Of course, all the earth was not singing at that point. The psalmist was aiming the worship towards mission. Verse 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, the marvelous work among all the peoples. Verse 7, we, we see this focus on the families of the peoples. The Lord wants his glory declared to, to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And by the way, that is why the songs we sing are, are not just one genre here. That we are not just focused on one cultural expression in worship. We, do, we don't believe that our God is a tribal deity. We believe that he can and should be experienced across cultures. We, we, we long to experience God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we continue to be prayerful as a worshiping community about the expansive expression of God's kingdom culture. So whether it's a hymn or gospel song or contemporary song, we want to reach the peoples. Songs are an expression of our kingdom priorities. Songs are powerful. 
We know this. And we know as pastors that y'all are way more likely to remember song lyrics than sermon points. I know, I know. Y'all, y'all, y'all are not going to be bouncing in your, uh, in your car on the way home talking about Pastor Evans point one, point two, point three. I know, I just know. But some of you are going to be bouncing on your way home at the glory of the Lord rise among us. And, and we're okay with that. We're going to let that be. <laughs> Me, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Timothy, we're going to try not to be bitter about that. <laughs> but we know the power of songs. Your children know the power of songs. What that means is, is that we want to be prayerful about the songs that we put before ourselves. Because we want you to leave here experiencing the bigness of God. That is our aim. That is our goal. And every piece of the liturgy here, if you're wondering, what is our agenda? Our agenda is, is God just a little bit bigger when you leave this place? And that you serve a God that is great and greatly to be praised. There is no one or nothing that pales in comparison. His worth and his majesty are unparalleled. And if we can express that to you by God's grace, we're excited. And we know that's a struggle. But I believe that's why the Apostle Paul would later say in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, uh, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What I love about what Paul is saying here is that worship and singing is not merely to the Lord. It is always of the Lord, but it's not merely to the Lord, but it's also to each other as well. We minister to each other when we lift up our voices in song. But Pastor Evan, I can't find the key. That's okay. Lift up your voices in this song because you are blessing your neighbor. One of my favorite parts of Sunday service is the last song before we do the benediction. And it's my my favorite part because I know that it's the part where we will have a little baby mosh pit at the front of the sanctuary. Um... I'm not going to call out names because I don't want to embarrass the parents, but I know that there are a few kids that, that, that I can count on that no matter what the song is, they're going to be jamming out. And some of them even try to climb on top of the stage. That's okay. And, and, I, and I imagine that, that that can be a bit of a challenge to manage as a parent. So I sympathize for y'all. Uh, and I just want to say... Uh, that that's actually a gift. As, as actually a gift. It's a gift because these little ones are actually helping us to aim our worship. It's, it's a gift to see that the little ones of our church have not lost the essence of singing and embodied worship. They, they feel it in their bodies and they're jamming out. And it blesses me. Part of the power of spiritual songs is connecting with one another as we connect to our God. 
And so for those of you that are, that are scared to sing, that are scared to sway, that are scared to lift your hands, that are scared to draw attention to yourself, I invite you to take the cues from our three-year-olds in our church. Let these three-year-olds set you free. That we do not worship until our motives are pure. We do not worship until we're fully focused. We worship because we are responding to the command of God to lift up holy hands. Because he promises, I dwell in the midst of the praises of my people. We praise God because he's great. And that means that we should praise him greatly. So as the psalm writer says, sing. Sing unto the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise his name. Because when we sing, we are experiencing and expressing God's glory. We are experiencing and expressing our liturgies, our aims, our patterns of worship, and we are experiencing and expressing God's kingdom mission. And when we sing, we are brought into the bigness of God over all of life. Anne Lamott uh, is an author that uh, wrote about her conversion story. And Anne, before she was converted, uh, was passionately opposed to church. She hated church and she hated God. She's very open about that. And she writes of her story about how she was converted to being a Christian. She says she would pass by the church and she kept hearing the songs coming out and she could barely tolerate it. She would call God the uh, Casper, the friendly savior. She would mock God as much as she could. But something about the songs at this church would get to her. So she began to walk closer until she found her way to the back row in, in the pews. And she said this about her conversion. She said that somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. Sitting there in church, standing with, with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt like I might tip over, I felt bigger than myself, like I was being taken care of, tricked into coming back to life. But I had to leave before the sermon. <laughs> When we are singing, we're tapping into the bigness of God. It's something in our struggle, something in our rebellion is, is tricking us. We're being tricked back into life. And so we sing. We sing as unto eyes for glory, that we would have the sight beyond sight and that we would receive this vision from the Lord. May it be so in this worshiping community. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, 
washed in his blood. Say, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. 